Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I hope I have something to say that might benefit you. Um, well, when I was thinking about giving a lesson, the lesson I wanted to give this week, I was talking to Brother Mike, I changed my mind like four times. Sometimes that's the curse of being able to pick what you want to talk about. But I landed on this. We're going to talk about victory in Jesus. I thank Danny for leading that song for me this morning. You know, victory is a very, we know what victory is. Even though we don't use the word, a lot of times we call it winning today. We know what a victory is. Well, my Longhorns don't this year, but... A lot of people know what victory means. It means you win. You achieve your goal. You achieve what you set out to do. Anybody who watches any kind of sports knows that the tie is the worst thing you can see. You want the victory, somebody to win, somebody to lose. You want it to be clear. But does God see victory the same way we see victory? Does God look at wins the way that we seem to look at wins? Well, let's see what the Bible says about this victory that Jesus offers. Let's look at 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Does that sound like a big victory to you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, that seems like anybody can say that. Anybody can say, yeah, I believe. As a matter of fact, there was a survey done 40, almost 40 years ago now in the 80s. That they asked Americans, do you believe that Jesus is, the son of, Jesus is the Son of God? They asked people that. And 95% of the people they asked just on the street said, yeah, I believe that. That's something that's easy to say. And he said, that's our victory, is that we say that we believe that Jesus is the Son. That we believe that Jesus is the Son. You just don't say it. You actually believe it. So let's look at another scripture here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 57, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us victory through Jesus. Well, what kind of victories are we talking about here? Because, you know, victory can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Victory comes on a lot of different levels. You can consider yourself winning on a lot of different levels. What is God talking about here? It's a matter of perspective. Because let's look in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and, in, and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation." 
Now, when you read that list, do you think that somebody winning in life? That guy's got it going on. He's winning life. He's doing a good job. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what kind of what you count as victory. You know, there's a story I read where this, they were sitting at, this family was sitting down to a meal. And the son asked his father to say the grace over the meal. And the son, before he started the grace, started looking at all the stuff on the table. And he didn't notice a single one of his favorite food was on the table. And his prayer was this. Lord, I don't see a whole lot here, but I'm going to eat it anyway. Amen. It's a matter of perspective. You know, in his perspective, there wasn't a whole lot to eat there, but he had a full table. He had plenty to eat. This may not look like in earthly life as winning, but does God count winning the same way that we do? Anybody that's been married any length of time knows that there's times in life you don't feel like you're winning at all. If you have kids, it doubles. Yeah, you don't feel like you're winning sometimes. Is that what God considers winning? Is that we have a good life, no problems at all? That's what the world tells you. You know, there was a shirt whenever I was growing up. There was a big shirt company. It was a no fear company. You may have seen the shirts. It was popular. It had all sorts of sayings, and then below it, it would say no fear. Well, the, the, this particular shirt says, everyone dies, but he who dies with the most toys wins. And then it said, no fear. <laughs> I saw that shirt, and I'm like, that's how the world defines winning. If I have the best life, the most stuff, whenever this life's over, I won. And here's the Apostle Paul, the man that wrote most of the New Testament, telling you, hey, I didn't win all the time. My life was hard. There were things going on that I didn't want. I know there was a different reasoning for him giving these words, but going through that, does that really look like a guy that people in America would say is winning in life? No, it doesn't. Well, what, do we, what kind of victory does God offer them? Well, let's look back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. You know, God created Adam, and he put him in the garden and said, I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to tend it. I want you to take care of the animals. But then he noticed something. He noticed that Adam was alone, and it wasn't good. So he caused a great sleep to come out of Adam. He took a rib and made woman because she came from man. And then he put them both there. That way he wouldn't be alone. So God looked at that and goes, okay, that's good. Well, the serpent came to the woman and said, can you not eat of any fruit of the tree of the garden? She goes, yes, except for the one that's in the midst of the garden because God has said, if we eat it, we'll die. And the servant told her, you will not die, but you'll be like God and your eyes will be open to good and evil. That sounded good, didn't it? That tempted the woman and she gave into that temptation and ate that fruit. And then she gave it to her husband and he ate too. And then God comes to them, asks them why they're hiding. And they say, well, we were hiding because we were naked. He goes, God asked them, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of that tree that I told you not to? And Adam, in the first example of passing the buck, goes, that woman that you gave me gave me the fruit and I did eat. Well, how does God end that particular how does that particular story end? If we look in Genesis 3 and 19, it says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Death entered the world through that sin. Now I want you to imagine at that time that you're in the garden, could you imagine a place that's perfect? Where there's none of those tribulations that Paul listed there that he went through? 
where there was no pain, there was no death. Adam and Eve had that. Can you imagine that? How awesome that would be? Where you didn't have to worry about any problems. Everything was perfect. All you, you had all the food you wanted. All you had to do was say no to one thing. And everything was perfect. There was no d- disease. There was no death. There was no sickness. There was no pain. All there was was joy and happiness. Can you imagine a place like that? How much would you, how much would people give, how much money would people give to find a place like that? Where there's no problems, there's no fighting. Families get along, friends get along, everybody gets along. You don't have to worry about friends stealing from you. You don't have to worry about people taking things that don't belong to them. You don't have to worry about somebody killing you or injuring you. There's no problems whatsoever. Can you imagine a place like that? God created a place like that for Adam and Eve. And they disobeyed him and had that sin, and through that, that all was lost. All the perfection was lost. And he said, from dust you came and from dust you'll return. Death entered the world at that point. And we haven't known a perfect society since. We haven't known a carefree life since. Well, what are we going to do about that? What's God going to do about that? There has to be something to be done with that. Because God's plan was to have a perfect place for people to live. And people messed it up. So what do we do now? Is it just one shot and you're done? God wants you to have that perfect existence. Now, it may not be here, but he wants you to have that. He wanted Adam and Eve to have that. Until they messed it up. Let's continue looking in Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we skip over to Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we had it where we wouldn't die. Now he's saying the gift through Jesus is that eternal life. But let's, let's take a look at this. Do you know any Christians that are still alive from the second century? From the first century? You seen Paul walking around here lately? Peter? It's a matter of your perspective once again. He never intended, after the fall of man, for this to be a perfect world. That's not what he intended to have. Because once sin entered the world, it could no longer be perfect. Sin had entered the world, and there was no way that world could be perfect anymore. But let's look at this, continue looking at this. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So I've got to believe in Jesus and I'll have everlasting life. Again, do you see Peter or Paul still walking around here? Do you see the men that were listed in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter walking around here that had that great faith? Because Jesus said, if you believe and have faith in me, you'll have everlasting life. Do you still see them walking around? Because I haven't met them. Where's our perspective at? If we look in 1 John 1, 5 through 10, this is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his sons, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so we have faith, but now I have to walk in the light. There are certain things I have to do. 
Yeah, there's certain things you have to do. Because God can have no part of sin. That's why he cast man out of the garden. He couldn't have any part of that. God hates sin so much, he will not accept it in any form or fashion. You know, there's sayings sometimes that will accept. You know, we know this world's not perfect and people mess up and go, I can accept that. I forgive you uh, and we'll work it out from there. God hates sin so much, he cannot accept it on any level. It has to be gone. It cannot exist in his, in his mind. Sin is not acceptable at all. We hear the saying all the time, it's all a matter of what you can accept. How, how good is this job? Well, it's just a matter of what you can accept, because you know no job's perfect. What can you take? What can you accept, accept from this job? Nothing's perfect. What can you accept from this vacation you're going on, because nothing ever always works out the way it's supposed to? What can you accept? Well, God put the line down and says, I cannot accept any sin at all. Now, can we do that? We just read a scripture that says that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Can we do that? No, we can't. But he said the gift is through Jesus, his son, that we can obtain that. <clears throat> and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do we accept the fact that we've sinned? Do we ask God to forgive us of those sins? Have we been buried with him in baptism to come in contact with the blood of Christ that was shed on that cross? Have we repented and turned our life around and started walking that way of light that he has asked? If you do that, you can have part in that everlasting life he's talking about and have part in that victory over death that he's talking about. But number one, we have to accept the fact we have sinned. We have all done things we shouldn't have done. Now what are we going to do about it? Are we going to do what God has told us to do and repent of those sins and be baptized, coming in contact with that blood, or are we just going to ignore it and hope the problem goes away? You know, the older I get, the more I look back on my life and notice that there was times I was just hoping a problem would go away. You know what always happened? The problem always got worse. <laughs> Whenever you ignore a problem and just hope for it to go away, it seems to have that habit of just getting worse. That is not a... Very good, thought-out way of dealing with problems, I'll tell you that right now. Just ignoring it and hope it goes away, because it never works out. So are we going to ignore this sin problem and just hope by some chance it goes away? Or are we going to do what God has asked us to do? And we look at 1 Corinthians 15 to 9. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. I believe that old King James uses miserable instead of pitiable. See, that's the problem here. We get focused so much on this life, we think that's all there is. I got so much going on, there's nothing else more important than this life. I got to make sure I have a good life here. I got to make sure I make enough money to send my kids to a good school, to make sure they can make enough money to send their kids to a good school, make my family better and better each time the generation goes. I got to work hard to do that, and we all focus on the life down here. But did you realize what that verse said? If we only have hope in Christ, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, this life isn't all there is. Where's your treasure at? Is it in the car you drive? Is it in the place you're employed? 
Oh, I got a good job. I make good money. Look how much better I am than all these people. Is that what makes your life worth living? Is it the fact that people know who you are and know the success you've had? Is that where your treasure's at? Or is your treasure with God and doing the things that he had, knowing the reward that he has promised in the next life? There's more, to the, there's more than this, just this life. Don't let people confuse you of that. Don't, let that. don't let this life blind you to the fact that this isn't all there is. You know, whenever I was younger, I, I'm guessing about, probably about 13 or 14, I went with my dad on a Bible study. And I don't know if this was... I heard it a little bit back then. I haven't heard it so much now. Mike may be able to tell you if it's, people are still spouting this belief. But we were in this house, and my dad was talking to this man about heaven. And the guy goes, you know what I believe heaven is? I believe heaven is whatever you make it down here. And my dad looked him square at the eyes and goes, what about the people in Africa that can't afford the rice they need to eat? Is that the heaven they deserve? What did they do to deserve that heaven? There's more to People get so focused on this life and making sure they have a good life down here, especially in this country, where the fact that there's another life coming and we just kind of let that flutter away because we get so focused on the temporal. All these things are going to pass away. You know, we've done work on this building. We've tried to make it look as best we can. We've done some remodel. But you know what? It's not going to be here forever. The homes we built, we put a lot of pride and joy into filling it with things. Filling it with memories. Making it a nice place to live. It's not going to be there forever. You know, the very first house we lived in is falling down. It didn't burn down. It didn't do anything. It just got so old, eventually they had to tear it down. And not only that, we did have one that burned down one time. All this stuff is going to go away at one point. Some of it sooner rather than later. There is nothing on this earth that lasts forever. But why do we get so wrapped up in it? If this life is all you're worried about, you're most miserable, most pitiable. There's a lot of words, adjectives you can use to describe yourself. Because you're missing the big picture. Don't get so wrapped up in this life, you miss the big picture. There was a painter one time that said, if I painted just a little bit in the middle and I could get people to focus on it, they could forget the rest of it was a white canvas. If I just painted one little, one little house with one little tree and I can get people to focus on that, they wouldn't realize I just painted a house and a tree and the rest of it's all blank. Is that how we are with this life? We get so focused on it that we re don't realize it's all temporal and all going to be gone away. The victory God offered was not in this life. It was in the next life. That next life where you can have eternal life, where that perfect place comes back, where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, where death is no more. That's the next life. Doesn't that sound good? Isn't that what you look like people are trying to strive for in this life? The perfect life? And it's right there waiting on us and we ignore it to focus on this life. 
Don't fall into the trap of focusing on this life so much that you forget about that perfect life where no problems exist that's waiting on you. Because you'll miss it. If we look in John 16 and 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He says it himself. You're going to have problems in this life. Nobody gets, goes through this life without problems. Regardless of what kind of problems it is, whether it's financial problems, marriage problems, relationship problems, whatever problems you can think of, this life has to offer and more. <laughs> Sometimes things are problems you don't even realize it until it's right there on you. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we're looking for 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, people will spend so much money, travel to so many different lands to try to prolong this life. They'll do everything they can to get that one extra hour, that one extra day, that one extra second of life. And my own opinion, I think it's because people think once, once you die, you lose. Is that the case? Does death take victory over you when you die? So we have to strive to get every breath we can while we're here to delay the defeat? This verse tells us that death, where's the sting of death? Where's the victory of Hades? Where's it at? Because he says, we have victory over death and over Hades through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have victory over death. Now, doesn't that sound nice? Not to have to worry about dying. Not to have to worry about getting that one extra day, that one extra week, that one extra month, that one extra year. Because you'll be in a place where you'll never die. Because if we look in 1 Corinthians 15 and 26, he says the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There's going to be a time where death is no more. There's going to be a time where you don't have to worry about dying. You don't have to worry about the pain of dying. You don't have to worry about trying to extend your life because death will be no more. Jesus will become, has already become victorious over death. He rose the third day after being dead. And there's going to come a time where we rise again from our slumber and death. And then our lives will be forever. And at that point, you're going to spend that eternal life in one of two places. There's only two options. There is no Middle road, middle ground, there's only two. In John 14, 1-4, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. That's one of the options. A mansion in heaven with Jesus forever. Where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no death. There's no telling loved ones goodbye as they're about to die. There's none of those things. All there is is joy, no trouble, and it's perfect, as God intended the garden to be. You can have that perfect home. Or you can hear the chilling words, depart, I never knew you. And then you will be sent to a devil's hell prepared for the devil and his angels, where there will be nothing but torment, pain, and anguish, and it will not end. Just like the joy and peace will not end, the torment and pain will not end. Those are the two options once you die. You can have that victory through Jesus, or you can get what you've earned through your sinful life and be tormented for the everlasting life. And the thing is, they're both everlasting. They both don't end. It's not like, oh, I can endure this for a while and then it'll be over. No, it won't. If we continue looking in the scripture, we look in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that all who run in a race run all, all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know what happens in a race? There's an end to a race. There is no unending race. A race always has a finish line. There's always a goal. There's always a place you want to be at the end of that race. When they start a marathon, there is an end point, And that's the goal where people get there faster than everybody else. This Christian life, there is a race and there is an end point. And that's when you die. And at that point, you'll have finished your race. You will have completed that course. And then you won't have to run anymore. You won't have to run against the tribulations. You won't have to run through the obstacles. It'll be over. And you can have rest in that perfect place where there is no pain and is no death. And at the end of your life, wouldn't you be like to be able to say this in 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all have, who have loved his appearing. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to say once your race is complete, I've finished my course. I know there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. And I want you to think about this race. You don't have to run it alone. God's with you. Jesus is with you. You can pray to God to help you through the tribulations. You have Christians who are sitting here in this room who are more than willing to help you out anytime you have those problems and facing those problems and help you get through those problems. That way at the end you can say, I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Don't get caught up so much in what's going on in this life that we miss the big picture. There is a life where we won't have to work, we won't have to sweat, we won't have to face pain, and we won't have to face death. 
Let's keep that in the foreground instead of what goes on in this life. And it may improve your life down here once you focus on that instead too. If you have lost that focus, if you have lost the focus of, I know there's something better at the finish line. I've gotten too wrapped up in what's going on right now. I have lost the fact of the finish line and what I'm striving for. We'd like to ask you to come sit on the front pew and we'll help you in any way we can as we stand and sing. <laughs>